potential to become a mustard plant and produce mustard. You with me? It's not just a seed. You know, Jesus spoke about the mustard seed in the word of God. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, from this distance, you couldn't even see. How many of you can see what I have in my hand here? Actually, I've got nothing. and You couldn't see it. But even if I had that mustard seed in my hand, you wouldn't see it because it's so small. And yet Jesus said you need to have faith the size of the mustard seed. And if you have faith the size of that mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and it'll happen. That is potential. The dictionary describes potential as existing in possibility or capable of development into actuality. Unrealized possibility. Um, I'm going to use Helen because she said I didn't choose her as an illustration in a sermon today. So I'm going to use Helen. For those of you that don't know, Helen is my wife. And that's not our child. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief or unpopular belief. <laughs> but Helen, when Helen was a little girl, Helen had the potential to become a lady. And she has realized that potential. Because if I was married to her now when she was still a little girl, that would be against the law. Okay? But Helen has realized that potential to become a lady. And within her, she had the potential to become a mother. And she has realized that potential because we have a little son, Samuel, who is four months old, but he's decided he's not coming to church this morning, so he's not with us. But we have a little son, Samuel, and he's four months old. So she's realized that potential. She's realized the potential that was within her to be a wife because we are now married. But within her lies more potential that she hasn't realized because God has a plan for her, and he wants her to discover that and realize that. Jacob, who's full son, that Emma is, um, that Helen is carrying this morning. When you look at him, what do you see? You see a little boy. But within him lies potential. Potential to become a father, to potential to become a grown man, potential to become a prime minister, a captain of industry, a minister, a prophet. It all lies within him. But he needs to begin to realize that. And this morning, with each, within in each and every one of us, God has placed potential. God has put potential within you. We need to recognize that potential and begin to exercise it. And until we do, we will not fully realize all that God has intended for us to be. Jesus said in the Word of God, how many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? How many of you believe that Jesus is the Word and He is truth? So if Jesus said, how many believe that Jesus doesn't lie? I'm talking about the Jesus in the Bible. He don't lie. Okay? If you know of another Jesus, I'm not talking about them. But this Jesus, he doesn't lie. Jesus said, the things I do, you will do also. And greater things than these will you do in my name. Put up your hand if you've done greater things than Jesus. Nobody? Well, let me tell you, you have the potential to do greater things than Jesus did because Jesus has promised that. Greater things than these will you do in my name. That potential lies within you. And this morning I want us to have a look at what are the things 
that hinder us or that prevent us from realizing the potential that God has placed within us. How do I know that God has placed potential in us? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay. Now to him that is able to do exceedingly. What does exceedingly mean? When something exceeds something, it goes beyond. Okay? He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even begin to imagine. Do you think God is able to give you what you ask for? One or two kind of thinking, yeah, maybe. Do you think he's able to exceed your imagination? The Bible says according. He's able to do this according. And what does that word according mean? It means in conformity to. So if you read it again, it says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. In conformity to the power. What is that? It's the ability to act or produce an effect. That's the definition of power. The ability to act or produce an effect. So it says that he's able to do this according to the ability to act or produce an effect that works within us. He has placed an ability within you that is able to produce an effect. But you know what? Unless we release it, and that's unless we release that potential, unless we allow it to operate, we're not going to see God move exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even begin to imagine. I won't ask you to put up your hands, but I can guarantee you that there are some people here that there are things that you don't really want to ask God for because just in case he doesn't answer. You know, I want to believe God's word, but if I ask for it and he doesn't do it, I'm going to be disappointed. We are the ones that hinder and restrict God's potential from operating in our lives. And this morning I want to speak about unlocking God's potential within your lives, within our lives. And I'm not just talking to you. Actually, I'm talking to myself probably more than I'm talking to you this morning. What is the first thing? There's a power that works within us and God has placed his potential there. But what is the thing that hinders or binds or restricts that power and that potential from being released within us? I think the first thing that does it is our but God mentality. Have you heard that? You know, I don't know, for some of you, if you've got children, I haven't heard it with Samuel yet because he's not talking. He's, that's all he does at the moment is make these noises. But when he talks, I'm almost sure I'll hear him say that. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, when you say to your father, Dad, I want to do that. And he says, no, you can't. But Dad, I want to do No, you can't. But Dad, if I can do that. No, you can't. But Dad, have you heard that? Do you remember doing that? How many of us do that with God? You know, sometimes God or the Holy Spirit says, you know, I think you should pray for that person. But God, what if they don't get healed? What if they do get healed? But God, when God says, tell that, go and speak to that person. They need to hear about the Lord. But God, 
What if they don't want to listen to what I have to say? You know, get up and share your testimony. But God, you know I'm shy to speak in front of people. But God, I don't know how. But God, I don't know when. Does it sound familiar? Have you ever felt like that when God says something and you have that, but God, none of you, but I felt like that. You know, we're not the only one. Anybody heard of Moses? One or two have heard of Moses. Okay. The Moses I'm talking about is the Moses in the Bible. He's in the book of Exodus. Moses was like that. Moses had this but God mentality. But you know what? Despite his but God mentality, when Moses changed his way of thinking, God was able to use Moses. Turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. When, God, when Moses allowed God and when Moses changed his but God mentality, God was able to use him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. He didn't end up going there, but he was able to lead them to the promised land. But before he could do that, he needed to overcome that but God mentality. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 9. And this is now God speaking, and he says, sorry, I'm looking at Genesis there. Give me a minute, sorry. This is the the part where Moses has the burning bush experience, and he sees God, or he has God as he sees the burning bush. And now God is speaking to him, and verse 9 he says, The cries of the people of Israel have reached me. And I've seen the Egypt, how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What does Moses say? But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked. How can you expect me to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you. I will serve you as proof that I have sent you. When you've brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this mountain. How many of you have seen a bush on fire? Anybody seen a bush on fire? Okay, well, for those of you, for most of us out of Africa, we've seen bushes on fire. In England, you don't get any of that, probably against the law, but anyway. Um... If you haven't, I'm sorry that you haven't seen a bush or a burning tree or something burning. How many of you have seen a barbecue? Yeah? Car on fire? Okay. How many of you have seen fire? <laughs> Make it easier. Cool. All right. This is, a, this is a trick one. How many of you have had the fire talk to you? Nobody? Do you think if that fire spoke to you, you'd be amazed? Do you think you'd listen? This must be God. If the fire is talking and there's nobody else around, it must be God. And this is what happens to Moses. And when God says to him, you will lead the children, he says, but God, hang on. What if they don't listen to me? Look what he says. When God says, you'll come back and return, Moses says, the Bible says, but Moses protested. If I go, the people of Israel, and, to, and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? Who is, this, who is his name? What is his name? Sorry. Then what should I tell them? And God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them, I am sent me to you. 
God also said, tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has been, it has always been my name. It will be used throughout generations. Now go, now go and call together all the leaders of Israel. Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me in a burning bush. He said, you can be sure that I'm watching over you. I've seen what is happening in Egypt. I will, and I promise to rescue you. And what does Moses say? Let's go down. Verse 18. The, Lord, the leaders of the people of Israel will accept your message, God says. Then all of you must go straight to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of he the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us go in, on a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. And what does Moses say? But God... I know the king of Egypt will not let you go and accept under heavy pressure. Sorry, that's God saying. But I know the king of Israel will not let you go except under heavy pressure. So I will reach out and strike the heart of Egypt with all kinds of miracles. Then at last he will let you go and I will see to it that the Egyptians treat you well. They will bless you with everything that you need, fine clothes, blah, blah, blah. What does Moses say in verse chapter 4 verse 1? But Moses protested and said, look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord has never appeared to you. How many of you think Moses is a little bit stuff? He's arguing with God. He goes on. God says, what's it you got? Throw it down. And God turns the stick into Moses' staff into a snake. Does that? Then the Lord said to Moses in chapter 4 verse 6, Put your hand inside the robe. Moses did, and as he took it out, his, land, his hand was white as snow with leprosy. Now put your hand back inside, and as Moses did this, and as he took it out, it was as healthy as the rest of, your body, of his body. What does he say in 10? But Moses pleaded with God, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I never have been. And now, and not now. Even with you, I, after you've spoken to me, I'm clumsy with words. Jesus said, who makes mouths? The Lord asked. Who makes people so they can speak or not to speak, hear and not to hear, see or not to see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and do as I've told you. I will help you to speak and I will tell you what to say. What does Moses say? But God, Lord, please send somebody else. And this went on until God changed or until Moses changed that. So you see, here was Moses, the person that led the children of Israel. And he kept having this but God mentality. And you know, you and I are the same. We are our own enemy in terms of releasing. Because when God speaks to us, we limit what God can do. The power that works in us, we limit it when God wants to use us. And he does want to use us. We need to change that but God mentality. We need to realize that God is not looking for our abilities. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. But be, in other words, be changed. Be made different by the renewing of your mind that you may prove to do what is that good, perfect, and acceptable gift. Um, acceptable will of God. We need to change our way of thinking. We need to get 
a God way of thinking. We need to realize that God is in control. And if he says to us, I need you to go and pray for that person. There's no need to say, but God, what if? You know what? You're not the healer. So if the person doesn't get healed, you don't have to be embarrassed. It's God's job to heal. Heal. If the person does get healed, you don't get the glory for that. God gets the glory. So all you need to do is be obedient. It's to get rid of the but God. Stop putting resistance and things in the way. When Moses overcame his but God mentality, he performed mighty exploits. He went and led the children out of Israel. He stepped and he opened the Red Sea and he walked through the Red Sea. He made water come out of a rock as he was obedient to God. We need to get over this but God mentality of ours. And we need to submit to God and allow God to move. And as God does it, as we change our mind, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We will start to do great and mighty exploits. We'll begin to release that God potential that lies within us. Are you with me? What's the first thing we need to do? Overcome our... Thank you. Somebody's listening. Overcome our but God mentality. So what do we need to do? We need to overcome our? Oh, okay. We need to overcome our? Absolutely. Come guys, work with me this morning. All right, you don't have to be shy. Nobody's going to throw you out if you speak. Right? If you say the wrong thing, it's okay. We'll forgive you. The second thing we need to do is we need to change our focus. We focus on our abilities. Or rather, we focus on our inabilities. God is not interested in your abilities or your inabilities. God is interested in your availability. You know, last year, I started playing guitar um, in church because there was a need. I do not regard myself as a guitarist by any means. And for a long time, I would always say, but I'm not a guitarist. I can't do this. I can't do that. But you know, God's not looking for the most skilled. He chose Moses to lead the children of Israel. Moses had a stutter. The Bible says he was a man of stuttering lips. Now, I think if they, if they wrote each time, Moses said, but God... It would have taken a long time. But Moses was a man of, stu- of stammering lips, and God used him. God is not looking for your abilities. God is looking for your availability. Look at 1 Cham- Samuel chapter 16 quickly. First Samuel chapter 16, this is where... Um, Saul comes, or sorry, not Saul, where Sam, uh, Samuel comes to the house of Jesse to anoint a king. From verse 1 it says, Finally the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. Now I rejected him as the king of Israel. Fill your horn with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my new king. But Samuel asked, How do I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. 
and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the leaders of the town became afraid. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I've, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and he invited them too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and he thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions in the way you do. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shammah. But the Lord said, neither is this the one. And in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to the Lord. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel asked, are these all of your sons? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. He's out in the field watching the sheep. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We'll not sit down to eat until he arrives. And so Jesse sent for him. He was ruddy and handsome with pleasant eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. And that was the anointing of King David. As, as Jesse's sons passed before Samuel, Samuel looked at the first one. He may have been tall and strong in stature, and Samuel thought, that's the one. The next one could have been good looking, or the next one, Jesse could have said, he's really intelligent. He'll make a good ruler. He, he's brilliant with finance. This is the one. But you know, God doesn't base his decisions on the same criteria that we use. Verse 7, he says, don't judge by appearance because the Lord looks at the heart and the intentions. You see, God is not looking at you through what you can do or how well you can speak. But he looks at your heart. He looks at the potential that lies within you, that is placed within you. And if we begin to recognize this potential for ourselves, we will begin to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to change our focus. God said to Moses when Moses was giving all this retort, what is that you have in your hand? That's what God is looking for. What do you have? Give it to me and let me use it. There's this passage in the Bible where Jesus said, all the, sorry, where all the crowds and multitude were flocking after Jesus. And Jesus turns to the disciples and Jesus says to the disciples, feed them. And the disciples say, well, we need to send them away. We don't have anything. We don't have any money. We, we don't have anything. We can't feed them. Let's turn them away. We're going to have a riot. And Jesus said, feed them. And Jesus said to them, what do you have? There was a little boy that had five loaves of bread and two fish. And he must have did the maths. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men. Don't think I'm getting anything if I give my lunch away. It's been a long day. Do I share it? What portion will I get? The salmon has been freshly caught, basted nicely with some garlic and herbs. Mum did a really good job. Smoked, smoked salmon, garlic rolls, garlic loaves, five loaves, 5,000 men. Do I share it? Do I keep it? Do I share it? Do I keep it? But this little boy relies the potential for a miracle to take place if he was available. And he said, I'm here. 
I've got five loaves and two fish. The disciples probably thought, be quiet. It's 5,000. That's going to go nowhere. But I'm here. Look what I've got. And God saw it and God took it. And the Bible says Jesus blessed it and he broke it. And it fed the 5,000 and they gathered baskets after that. Because he took the little that he had, that potential, and he gave it to God. There was potential for a miracle. You and I have within us potential for a miracle if we give it to God. The third thing. So the first thing that limits us is our but God mentality. The second thing that limits us is the way we see ourselves. The things we focus on, our failures. Growing up, people may have said to you, you're useless. You'll amount to nothing. So when God comes to use you or God calls you, then you say, I can't, God. I'm, I'm, I'm useless. I'll amount to nothing. God doesn't see you that way. He sees the potential that lies within you because he's placed it there. Begin to see yourself the way God sees you. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before you were born, God knew you. He created you. He ordained you. He called you even before you were born. Before your parents thought, you know what, we'd like to have a child. Even if they never thought that. Before they even never thought that. God knew about you. He created you. He had a plan for your life. And that's what the Bible says. We need to realize that. And we need to start to focus on what God has for us. The third thing that limits us is fear. Fear limits us from realizing God's potential in our lives. You know, in fact, fear paralyzes people. It causes us to lose faith. Has anybody ever done a bungee jump? No? Okay. Has anybody done scuba diving? Yeah. Have you done uh, a deep dive more than 40 meters? Okay. When you go down more than 40 meters, um, there is a danger that you, you can knock. You know, you, you're not quite sure of what's going on. Um, and as part of the training, when I went to do my training, as part of the training, they, they would give you a board before you went down. And on that board, you would write down, um, in South Africa, you, everybody gets an identity number. And in a lot of other countries, you get a, an identity number. You would write down, it was a 13-digit number. And then you would dive down to 40 meters. Um, and when you're down at 40 meters, the air is very, very light. Okay. You dive down, and then they give you the board, and they ask you to write. They would ask us to write that number again, and it was really, really strange. And when I went down, there were like 20, 20 of us that kind of went down to this depth. Um, and the first time I went down, I had a, a tank that had just over 300 bar in it. And as I got down there, I started to get nervous because I just had all these sw divers just swimming all over me. Um, and I began to get claustrophobic, if you can imagine that, in, in, the, in this quarry where we were diving. And I started breathing. And I kept telling myself, relax, it'll be okay. And the more I breathed, the lighter it started to get. You know, you start, whoa, okay. And I started telling myself, relax, you're going to pass out. You're going to... And 300 bar, okay, now think about it. You fill a tire, a car tire, say 2.5 bar. I, 
had 300 bar. In less than 10 minutes, I was down to like 50 bar. Because of panic, because of fear. I wasn't afraid that I was going to drown, but it was just a reaction that, and as much as I told myself, relax, and I, I, in my mind I was talking to myself, relax, there's nothing to worry about, take it easy. But my breathing wouldn't stop, it was just going. Okay? They did an experiment where they took a, a, a two liter um, plastic bottle just to show you the pressure, and we took it down, and that bottle had air in it, it had a lid on just squashed. The deeper we got, it just squashed. And then let it go. It shot like a torpedo out of the water. As it, as it ro- rose and it filled up, it just shot straight out of the water as a torpedo. We took that bottle just with air and threw it on a fire. And for 30 minutes, nothing because of the, the air pressure, nothing happened to that bottle. And after 30 minutes of being in a fire, it kind of just exploded. And that's kind of what can happen to your lungs as you go down to that depth. But you get nervous and it takes over. And that's what fear does to people. It paralyzes. I'm glad to say the next time I went down, I was quite fine. I breathed normally. There weren't so many people around me and it was brilliant. It was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm good at this. Um, but you know, has anybody ever been afraid of something? A situation where fear grips you? where you can't do something because of fear, you intended to do it, I'm going to do it, and then suddenly, at the last minute, you're just about to j- do that bungee jump, and then, no, no, not going to do it. And then they push you over. And, fear grips you, it paralyzes you. It re- prevents you from doing the things that God intended. And we're the same. You see a need, and you know the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Just lay hands on that person, and fear grips us. But what if? No, somebody else, Lord. The pastor's there. You know, Phil is around. Let him go and do it. Let that one. Fear paralyzes us. But you know, I'm glad to say we're not the only ones that that's happened to. Who's heard of the Apostle Peter? Oh, Aiden, praise God. Glad somebody reads their Bible. Peter was somebody in the Bible, for those that don't know, who was chosen by God as a disciple. And he became to be one of the apostles that's spoken of in the Bible. Great man of God, did mighty exploits. He wrote letters. We, we use them. We reference them in the New Testament. But do you know that Peter was afraid? Peter was a fisherman. He was a tough guy. He was a rough guy. When they came to take Jesus away um, in the Bible, uh, just in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter drew out his sword. Peter said, Lord, I'll kill them. I'll stop them. Peter drew it out and he cut off somebody's ear and Jesus had to reprimand him. This was Peter. He wasn't afraid of anything. There's a passage when they were out in the storming sea. The seas were raging and these guys were fishing. Now, I've been fishing. My father-in-law likes um, fly fishing and he took me fly fishing and it was pouring with rain. It was blowing the wind was blowing in scotland and we were like why are we doing this when are we going home and i was catching nothing as well it wasn't pleasant but yeah these guys were out fishing with a storm raging and they were out fishing and suddenly somebody comes walking on the water i can guarantee you if any of you are out in a storm and somebody comes walking on the water you're going to be scared 
Okay, it's not a natural thing. But somebody comes walking on the water. And what does Peter do? He says, Lord, if it's you, let me come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter jumps out of the boat. The rest of the guys think, Peter, what are you doing? Peter jumps out of the boat and he walks on the water. And then suddenly, he realizes, I'm walking on water. There's waves. Storm. Oh, God, help me. And he starts to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus. And when he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw the storm around him, he began to sink. Fear gripped hold of him and he began to sink. Before that, he jumped out and he was walking. Okay, so he sank. You know what? The other disciples, they never got out the boat. They never walked on water. Peter walked on the water. This same Peter that cut off a man's ear when all the soldiers were coming was ready to fight. A few scriptures later, denies Jesus. And a little girl comes and says, weren't you with him? He swore at her. He said something. And he said, it wasn't me. Leave me alone. Because he was afraid. You know what? God didn't stop with that. Fear limits us. Fear limits us from achieving all that God intends for us to be. A fear of rejection. Fear of failure. We have so many things that we're afraid of that we fear. But that's not what God intends for us. Peter had to overcome that. How do we overcome fear? By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. As long as Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, he walked on the water. When he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the storm, he began to fear and he began to sink. Second, Peter two, Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. That's not what he intended. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Hebrews Look what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says. Are you with me this morning? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, strip off every weight that slows you down. Strip off the weight of fear. Strip off the weight of anxiety. Strip it off. Everything that slows you down. Especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. On whom our faith depends from start to end. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus this morning, and he will help you overcome that fear. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So now I've spoken about the things that hinder us from unlocking God's potential. The first one was, but God mentality. The second one was, focusing on our wrong things, our inabilities. And the third one was, fear. Some people are listening. That's good. I'll carry on. So those are the things that hinder us. But what are the things that enable us to unlock that ability? How do we realize God's ability, God's potential? The first thing is faith in God. 
Faith in God will allow us to unlock that potential. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11 verse, 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. Sounds very similar to potential, doesn't it? Faith in the, New, in the King James says it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is a tissue. Do you believe this is faith? Jane is looking a little bit wary. Where does this come from? Well, a tissue box. Where did it come from before it went into the tissue box? A tree. A tree. It came from a tree. Somebody looking at a tree saw a tissue, saw paper. It was by faith. When they looked at a tree, if you take a table, it's faith. The carpenter, when he looked at the tree, we looked at it and we saw a tree. He looked at it and he saw a table. He saw a beautiful wooden chair by faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the things we cannot see. That's what faith is. We need to have faith in God's word. How do I know that God has placed potential in me? How do you know just because I'm saying it, does that make it true? Well, by faith, even though we can't see it, we have to believe that within me lies the potential of God. How do you know that you're saved? Who saved you? Oh, okay. Do you believe you're saved, Edward? How do you know you're saved? By faith. What does the scripture say in Ephesians? For by grace we are saved through faith. When you gave your heart to the Lord, there was nothing that suddenly said, Whoa, I'm a new person. Everything's changed. Suddenly everything's different. My personality's changed. I swore like a trooper the day before and the next day I had this holy way of talking. No, it doesn't. That transformation, that change is by faith. We believe. The gift I gave you, Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and it will happen. Faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 says, without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. If you don't have faith in God, doesn't matter how many services you come to, doesn't matter how much of your money you give away, it doesn't matter what you do, it will not please God. Without faith in God, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Believe that he is God. Believe that he is the creator of the universe. Believe that he will do what he said he will do. And believe that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to have faith in God. We need to have faith in God's word. The scripture says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. 
God's word never changes and it never fails. In the book of John chapter um, 1, it says, in the beginning, when's the beginning? It's at the start. Before anything else, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. We know that the word is Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. The scripture we read earlier says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author. If you look at a a book, the author is the person that wrote the book. Before the book was the author. The book couldn't come before the author because the author wrote the book. Jesus wrote the book. He's the author and he's the finisher. He's from the beginning to the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. There is none beside him. We need to have faith in God's word. Jesus is the word and we must have faith in the word. Look what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. This is Paul writing. He says, I pray that you, Patheli, that you, Alan, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And now, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the word of God, he is far above. He is where? Far above any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader, and in case I've missed anything else, in anything else. He is far above anything else in this world and in the world to come. And God has put all things. God has put what? What's left out of that? Nothing. All things under the authority of Christ. And he gave him this authority for For the benefit of the church. Who is the church? Who is the church? Who is the church? If you're the church, then it's for your benefit. Are you benefiting from the authority that's been given to Jesus? Above everything else? Above all authority? Above your problem? Above your situation? Above your illness? Are you benefiting from that authority? We need to begin to realize. Jesus said, the things I do, you will do also in my name. He's been given all authority and it's been given to you. Greater things than these shall you do. We need to begin to realize that potential. And lastly, so the things that hinder us were, but God, our focus on the wrong things, fear, the things that enable us to release God's potential is faith in, in the word, faith in, God, try that again. The things that release our potential is faith in, 
the word and release our potential as faith in. Right? Remember, believe that he is God. And secondly, the things that release our potential is the Holy Spirit. We need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about coming on a Sunday and praying, Holy Spirit, won't you move? Speaking in tongues, just move. Come with your power. Come with your authority. That's not a relationship. You know, when you want water, you go to a tap and you turn it on and you turn it off. And sometimes that's our mentality of the Holy Spirit. Now's your time in the service. Just move, Holy Spirit. Come have control, yeah, with me in church. And when I leave out, I take control again. I'm in charge now. We sing like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. No, we need to do it God's way. We need to do it the Holy Spirit's way. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And you cannot have a relationship unless you begin to talk. We're not ever going to realize God's full potential until we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see, when Helen and I first met, we were over in, on, Helen was over in South Africa on holiday. I was living in South Africa. She saw me walking by, she whistled, she introduced herself. <laughs> not quite. No, not quite. <laughs> she sang, isn't he lovely? No. But we met. You know, we met. We didn't know each other. We were introduced. At the end of the first evening, I thought to myself, she's a lovely girl, but she's hard work. I don't think this is going to happen. We then had dinner another evening, and it kind of, oh, it's quite nice, you know. We exchanged telephone numbers, and then she came back to the UK. Now, do you believe that's a relationship? Did we have a relationship? A bit of confusion there. I know it's Valentine's Day, people, but that's not a relationship. Okay? Meeting somebody and giving them your telephone number doesn't mean that you have a relationship. Okay? It may mean that in your mind, but in reality, that's not a relationship. Okay? We then started exchanging text messages, emails. And we started to get to know each other. We were developing a friendship. We were starting to develop a relationship. I was going on holiday to Australia and Helen said to me, why don't we meet halfway? I said, that's great. Let's meet in Malaysia or the Philippines. <laughs> and she said to me, no, that's not halfway. So I said, oh, where shall we meet? She said, London. I'm like, halfway to Australia. Let's get this geography right. I'm going from South Africa to London and Australia is there and this is halfway. Well, I never got to Australia. I got to London. And you know, the first thing Helen said to me as I got off the plane, she said to me, let's just get one thing straight. I'm not going to kiss you. I'm not going to be some holiday romance that you have. And I said, you could have told me this before I came. I've traveled all this way and now you tell me this. She put me on the straight and narrow, but we developed a relationship. And for the next 18 months, I went back after, back to South Africa. And for the next 18 months, we said, sent emails, we exchanged telephone calls, 
She came to South Africa on holiday. I came to the UK on holiday. And we built a relationship. You know, in that 18 months, we spoke to each other every day for at least 40 minutes. It was expensive. It required an investment. And the same applies to the Holy Spirit. Unless you invest into that relationship, you're not going to have a relationship. You might experience the Holy Spirit when He's moving, but that doesn't mean that you've got a relationship. Jesus said that it's important that the Holy Spirit comes because He will guide you into all truth. Look at 1 Corinthians. It's the last part. I'll be closing soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from verse 9. It says, This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined. What did we say we read earlier? He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even begin to imagine. The scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But we know these things because God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And his spirit searches out everything and shows us. God's deep secrets. No one can know what anyone else is really thinking except that person alone. You see, as Tony sits there playing with his collar, looking at me, really serious look. Now he's changed it. He put the smile on, but he might be thinking, he's talking rubbish. When are you going to finish? I'm a bit hungry now. It's almost lunchtime. Get it over with. I don't know what he's thinking. I can assume what he's thinking. I don't have the faintest idea what he's thinking. Only Tony knows. Even though Colin's married to him, she doesn't really know what he's thinking right now. In certain situations, she'll know exactly the way Tony will react. Or she thinks she does. Because he allows things. Yeah, I would have done that. Absolutely. That's the way. But as you develop a relationship, you get to know the person. But only the scripture says only that person can really know their mind. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And God has given us his spirit so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. He has given us His Spirit so that we can know the wonderful things that He has freely given to us. Last passage of Scripture. This is my favorite one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Now thanks be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Okay, I'm not a teacher, but when I was at school, has was past tense. So it's already been done. He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What are spiritual blessings? 
Well, the Bible says God is spirit. So my interpretation is everything that God does is spiritual. You see, when you have a financial need, it's a spiritual matter because God meets it. He says, um, he'll supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. Now, he doesn't go into his riches in glory and open up a door and say, right, you need some money, here it is, and suddenly you wake up and it's on your bedside. It's a spiritual thing that happens when God meets your need. He moves on somebody's heart and he says, Phil, I need you to meet Alan's need and bless him. That's a spiritual thing that happens. And that's what the scripture says. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And look what it says down in verse 14, I think it is. Verse 13 says, And now you've heard the truth, the good news that God saves. When you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He is God's guarantee that everything He promised, He will give us. And that he purchased us. If you went today and um, spent 5,000 pounds on a lovely surround system with a beautiful entertainment system, a nice TV, all electronic, you can touch and you'll have different music in different rooms um, playing. And they said to you, here's your receipt. This is your guarantee. If anything goes wrong, you produce this and we'll repair it. How many of you walk out the shop, take that up and throw it in the bin? Joe. Doesn't bother about the guarantee. Okay. But everybody else, you put that away. You file it. This is my guarantee that I don't lose my money. If you had the choice of buying two cars, both the same value, And the one has a five-year warranty and the one has a two-month warranty. Which car are you going with? Five-year? Why? Because there's a guarantee. Anything goes wrong, it's sorted out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And as we develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, He is our guarantee that God will give us everything that He's promised. So, to recap... The things that hinder us from experiencing and unlocking God's potential is our but God mentality. The second thing is focusing on our inabilities and our problems. Turn our focus to Jesus. Don't look at your problems and your inabilities. Make yourself available. Allow the Holy Spirit to move. The third thing that hinders us is fear. In order to release it, we need to have faith in God. We need to have faith in God's word. And we need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to sing a song before we close um, this morning. And I'd like you to examine while I sing the song. Just examine your life. And, you know, if you're looking at yourself the way Samuel looked at Jesse's sons, at the outward appearance, at the abilities and the inabilities. 
then we need to change that focus. Because when God